0: It is so good to be back with you all. I hear that J.J., Pastor J.J., did an outstanding job uh, preaching last week, and I'm so thankful for that and for the opportunity. Amen? Yeah? Encourage that brother, absolutely. Christy and I enjoyed our time away to go visit Zach up in Terre Haute there for uh, his 18th birthday, and so it it was good to be away. You know, one of the things that absolutely delights my soul is when God gives me personal reminders that... He is real and that he's active in our lives. Now, as I say that, I'm not saying that I, that I doubt God's existence. I'm just saying that I love it when he positively and absolutely confirms his existence in a wow moment. Wow, God, you are amazing. It's such a faith-building moment. Like that Sunday, it's probably been... It's probably been four or five years ago at this point. I was preaching to my church there in Bowling Green about how God had brought the nations to our city. Right? We often think about the Great Commission about going to every corner, right? Going to the ends of the earth to reach people, these nations for Christ. And the truth of the matter was Bowling Green is a it's an international refugee center, right? It's a city where they bring in refugees and and there in that city, there's even an international high school. Uh, there's so many people groups there gathered together and they've been brought right there to our front door to our front yard so to speak right and I was telling the folks there right how God had brought the nations to us and as people were leaving that day I was saying go go share Jesus they've God's brought them to us guess who came walking into the church building a man of Indian descent of the Hindu religion. And he came in and I began to talk with him and he was very explicitly wanting to know more about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about salvation. I was like, wow, God, I was just telling them, right? That that, that you've been bringing people to our city and God just didn't bring somebody to our city. He, bring, he brought them into our church building there and I got to share very explicitly the gospel of Jesus Christ I I got to share a John MacArthur book with him why one way which um, is a little book a great little book on why Jesus is the only way to be saved (laughs) I was like wow God you are amazing I mean it was just an excellent faith building moment I wonder this morning has God ever done something like that in your life I mean maybe it was big but maybe it was small But either way, it was just a wonderful reminder that he is real, that he is living and active, that he is with you, and that he loves you. Man, God has done that a multitude of times over the course of my life. And most recently, he did that for me just a little over a week ago. You see, I've been praying. I've been praying about where God would have me go next in the Bible to preach to y'all. Um, A lot of times I'll plan out months in advance, and other times I I just sort of preach out a series, and then as I get toward the end of that series, I say, Lord, what's next, right? There's times where you just kind of refill, and this is one of those seasons. Lord, what would you have me say to the people, to the saints of Collinsville First Baptist Church? What do they need to hear next? What book of the Bible should I turn to? What section of a book should I turn to, Or, or even just what passage of scripture do they need to hear preached, and very clearly through that process God led me to Matthew 24 and 25 which focuses entirely on the second coming of Christ right this extended teaching is typically called the Olivet Discourse because it's an extended teaching from Jesus from the Mount of Olives during the Holy Week right the week leading up to his crucifixion his resurrection Father what, what would you have me preach I mean not audibly but But in my spirit, in my mind, I was drawn to this passage here, this section, Matthew 24, 25, and I began to put together a a six-message series. And early on Friday morning, October 6th, I outlined that series, and around 7 a.m. that same morning, I emailed our office staff and ministry team the outline of what this series is going to be, focusing on the second coming of Christ and what it's going to be like. And then about 16 hours later, breaking news hit that Hamas had attacked Israel what an awful day and everybody began to ask two questions one is this the beginning of World War III? and two is this a sign of the second coming of Christ and there I was ready already already ready to preach on the second coming of Christ. Wow, God. Right? God is amazing, amen? God is amazing. He is certainly, I love when God does that. I love when God does it. So turn with me to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Jesus was leaving the temple, and as he was going away, his disciples began to point out different points, different parts of the buildings of the temple. You see, the temple itself was an entire complex. And they were saying, oh, check that out, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, man, I love that. Did you see how the architect did that? Did you see how Solomon and and, and then then, uh, the the other kings along the way, how they had built out these buildings? And Jesus replied to them, look at Matthew 24, verse 2. You see all these, these buildings, this temple complex, do you not? Truly I say to you, There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And these Jewish men and and perhaps even some Jewish women that were amongst the disciples there were like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? The, The temple's gonna be destroyed again? And so when Jesus and the disciples, when they arrived at the Mount of Olives, which is just about a mile or so from the Temple Mount there, First chance they got. They were super curious and and wanted details. Come on, Jesus, tell us the details. Look at verse 3 of Matthew 24. As Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And when Jesus began to teach them about his Second coming. That's what he began to do. He began to teach them about his second coming. He began talking about how there will be fake Jesuses claiming to come again, right? To be Christ come again and how there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars and that, and that there's going to be all sorts of things that are going to lead people to think that he's about to come right now. This is him right now. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, he says here, that will cause people to think that he is coming back right now. And then he gets to verse 8. All these, he says, are but the beginning of the birth pains. Beloved, it's interesting as you get into the prophetic nature of Scripture, there is always this aspect of this of this of this telescoping so to speak these things that that look so far off they look so near and every generation hear my words every generation when you look around you see what's going on you read the times you, 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 you see all the signs and the symbols and all of the prophecies you think he could come back today and God did that on purpose he did that on purpose But he says as the end of this age comes, the end of this age until he brings in the eternal state, he says there's going to be increasing persecution. There's going to be the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. There's going to be a great tribulation. There's going to be a great apostasy along with that where many will turn away from the faith. And then we read in verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come and then skip to verse 27 jesus continues there 27 through 31 for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west so will be the coming of the son of man wherever the corpse is there the vultures will gather immediately after the tribulation of those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man that's jesus and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they'll see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other beloved right there right there is the second coming of christ along with the rapture when the living saints of god are snatched up to to meet jesus in the air as he's descending down to the earth he says continuing verse 34 35 truly i say to you this generation which which means this age will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then he gives us six parables as to what this will be like. Six parables to describe to us what the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be like. 36 through 41 there, it's going to be like the days of Noah. 42 through 44, it's going to be like a thief in the night. Matthew 24, 45 through 51, it's going to be like a master delayed in returning, coming back to see how his estate has been taken care of. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, it's going to be like a coming bridegroom, coming to marry his bride. Matthew 25, 14 through 30, it's going to be like an entrusting master, coming back to see how his affairs have been stewarded, And then Matthew 25, 31 through 46. It's going to be like a king separating the sheep from the goats. Beloved, I wonder this morning, are you ready for his return? That's the title of the series. Looking at the parables of the Olivet Discourse here. The title of this morning's message is simply Flood. Because the second coming of Jesus is going to be like the days of Noah. In fact, that's today's truth this morning. As you think about what is today's truth I want you to take from here, the second coming of Christ will be just like, the Bible tells us here, the days of Noah. And so I want to invite you this morning to stand, to honor the reading of God's Word here. We're going to begin in the 36th verse and read down through the 41st. of man then two men will be in the field one will be taken and one left two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken and one left thus ends the reading of god's holy word let's pray so father speak to us today through your word we thank you lord that you give us an inclination of what this is going to be like father that we might be ready Father, there's going to be people right here in our midst today in a crowd of of four to five hundred, Lord, that are not ready. Would you send the Holy Spirit today to to touch their heart, to call them out, to, to, to bring them, Lord, the joy of salvation that they might trust in Christ and be saved. And for those of us who are already in Christ, God, may we long for your second coming. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, well, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. Go ahead and grab your seat. So the second coming of Christ, the second coming of Jesus, will be like the days of Noah. How? I mean, in what ways? How will the second coming of Christ correlate to the days of Noah? Well, Jesus here tells us three ways. The first way it's going to be like the days of Noah is that many people will be living life as usual, giving no thought to the impending flood of God's wrath. Look at verse 36, uh, 37, 38. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. That verse there in itself is mysterious, okay? We'll just trust what Jesus says there in his humanity uh, he did not know. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. So, beloved, what were the people doing right before the flood of Noah's day, when it came upon the entire earth? Well, Ken Ham and the good folks at Answers in Genesis they estimate that it took probably. 50 to 75 years for Noah to build the ark that's sort of a maximum range it could have been much quicker than that much shorter right but Noah was 600 years old when he entered the ark but the whole time he was building the ark he was preparing for this impending flood what were the other people on the face of the earth doing well Genesis 6 which is the beginning of the flood narrative account, it it doesn't tell us, honestly, anything really specific other than this. Genesis 6, 5 said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Here in Matthew 24, Jesus paints a a bit of a brighter picture (laughs) He just simply says they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. But take those two passages together. What were they doing? They were doing whatever their little hearts wanted to do. They were just thinking life as normal, right? Living life as usual. There was absolutely zero thought about the fact that the 120-year clock that God had set to wipe mankind off the face of the earth was ticking down. Genesis 6, 3 says this, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he's flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Now, now we could take that 120 years time clock, so to speak, right? And we could say, well, what, what's really being talked about there is where God essentially downgrades mankind's lifespan. You see, up until this point, I mean, Noah's in his 500s. Um, down the road here, and you, or, or, or go back to Genesis 5 there, and you've got people in their 900s, 800s, 700s. Uh, at this point, that close to the Garden of Eden, the lifespan of humanity had, had, had continued to be maybe a range of 1,000 years. But here, here God says their upper limit is going to be 120 years. We, we still see that basic lifespan today. But after that God began to the, the, the humanity began to experience that, that, that lowering, that downgrading of the lifespan. But that, that 120 years, it also coincides with the time clock here that God gave until the world would be destroyed by a flood. But praise God the Bible says that Noah found favor in God's eyes. And a God decided to, to save him and, and his family and then a few, decades, a few decades into that 120 year time clock Noah began to build the ark that God would use to save them and while Noah's doing this he's building this ark and, and if you've been to the one in Kentucky you know it ain't a little boat it's humongous you, you can't miss it everybody around Noah had to see it in fact you gotta know they said you gotta go see this You won't believe what this crazy dude is doing out here. While he was doing that, everybody else was just going about their regular business, completely unaware of what was about to come upon the earth and what was about to come upon them. Jesus says that in his second coming, y'all, it's going to be the same way. There's going to be increased wickedness upon the earth. Let me ask you a question. Do you see that anywhere today? Oh, goodness, y'all. I mean, it's sickening. It's gut-wrenching what we see around the world. We don't have to travel far. We don't have to even get out of our own community to see gut-wrenching wickedness. Godlessness has always been there since the fall of man, but but doesn't it seem to be growing? And not just godlessness, but but what I see is not just that, but an anti-godness. They're not just godless, they're against God, explicitly against God, and and certainly against Christ. So we're going to see that. And there's going to be an obliviousness to the coming judgment. Again, I ask, do do you see that today? So many people just live in life as as if they've got all the time in the world. As if the wrath of God brought upon the world at the second coming of Christ couldn't burst forth at any moment from heaven. I mean, they're just eating and drinking, they're marrying and giving in marriage, living life as usual, just like they were in Noah's day, and they had no clue, the Bible says, until Noah entered the ark, which is to say they had no clue until it was everlastingly too late. And Jesus says the same cluelessness will characterize much of the world leading up to his second coming. That's the first thing you got to consider this morning. Second, consider this, the second coming of Christ will be like the days of Noah in that the flood of God's wrath will be surprising, sudden, and inescapable for those outside the ark of Christ. You see, the world in Noah's day, it saw something it had never seen before. What happened when God said, go? There was a catastrophe, a devastating catastrophe that, that, that the world has never seen since and had never seen before. It reshaped the land. It, it buried billions of creatures. It laid down rock layers. I mean, all these things. It was an overwhelming disaster and it happened in a blink of an eye boom boom we read about it in Genesis 7 11 and 12 in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month and on the 17th day of the month on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were opened and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights It was a double directional deluge. Not only did did heaven open up and, and pour like it does today. I mean, we see that. We could use a little more of that. A little more, right? Could we use a little more rain from heaven? But the Bible tells us that water burst up from below the soil. Now you say, well, that's just one of the ways that we know the Bible's wrong. And if you say that, you know nothing about the geology of our earth. Did you know that in the ground of our earth is over 90% of the fresh water on this planet? I mean, you think about all the lakes, all the rivers, all the creeks, all the ponds. There is more water underground, 90%, like nine times more than all the surface fresh water under the ground. And I've got to believe that in those days, it was even more. I mean God had been preparing he had been storing up this water to burst forth and it did burst forth not just raining down but burst forth from below flooding both top and bottom and it it happened in a blink of an eye I mean it's not like it, people didn't see this coming it's, it's not like they had time to run to higher ground it was a flash flood and if you know anything about flash floods, you know they happen in a flash, right? That's why they're called flash floods. Christy and I, we, we lived in Middle Tennessee for six years. Um, two of our children were born there while I was pastoring a, a church there about 50 miles east of Nashville. And one of the really popular places that people love to go, and it's so cool, there's a, 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 a state park called Cummins Falls State Park. Check out this picture here. Doesn't that look fun? I mean, that's a blast right there. You see that cascading waterfall, and it, it's beautiful. We haven't actually played in it, but we've been to it. We've hiked around it, all of those things. It's a beautiful place. But here's what you've got to understand about Cummins Falls is that as beautiful as it is, in a flash, it can turn deadly. That's happened several times over the years. People just get caught up in a, in a quick downpour that brings a ton of water to that spot really quickly. You see, in 2017, two people died. Right there at Cummins Falls State Park in a flash flood. Just like a, right there you can see, right, the, the rain starts to come down and everybody starts to get out. Oh, we got to get out, you know, and all that. And then, but there's always those people who hang out a little while longer. They think, I've got time. And they didn't have time. And then it happened again in 2019 and it's happened other times as well. But check this out. This is the part that blows my mind. 2019, or actually 2017, how much rain... Did Cookville, Tennessee, that's where this is, Cookville, Tennessee, or Quovo, as they say it in Middle Tennessee, how much rain do you think they got that day that caused that flash flood? Less than two inches. Less than two inches. And in 2019, guess how much they got? Less than one inch. That little amount of rainfall, y'all, turned deadly it turned deadly as a flash flood, as it came rushing down through that channel over that waterfall and even began to, to fill up that basin right there. People died. And if two inches of water, even one inch of water, can do that as far as rainfall, can you imagine how quickly the water on the day of Noah's flood, can you imagine how quickly that water turned deadly, not only from above, but from below? We're talking about feet of water in seconds rising from below and above. It was sudden. It was surprising. And there would be no escape for those outside the ark. Every land creature, every air creature that was not on that ark would perish. And, beloved, the same thing is going to be true when Jesus returns. Listen, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be surprising. It's going to be inescapable when this flood comes upon the earth. And it's not going to be a flood of water. We've got the rainbow, right? God's made his promise. He's made his covenant that he'll never destroy the earth by a flood of water again. No, it's going to be a flood of God's wrath. A flood of God's wrath. And every person who is not in the ark of Jesus, every person who's not turned from sin and trusted in Christ, will be destroyed Jesus emphatically declares this in Matthew 24 verse 39 he says and the people of Noah's day were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the son of man I I don't know what the population of the earth was at that time I just know the population of the earth that was left behind And that was eight. Those who were on the ark, who were in the ark. God, in that moment, y'all, all all heaven is going to break loose. And God's righteous anger through God's angelic army, it's going to be poured out on the unrighteous of the earth and it's going to be sudden, surprising, and escapable for every single person outside of the ark of Christ. And third, the second coming of Christ will be like the days of Noah in that the flood of God's wrath will sweep away all who are outside the ark of Christ to their destruction, leaving behind the righteous inside the ark of Christ. Look at verse 40 and 41. Now, as you look at this passage, those two verses, this, this passage is perhaps one of the most misinterpreted passages in the New Testament. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Now, people with good intentions, they, 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 they love to take this verse and say, oh, don't, don't, don't be left behind. You don't want to be left behind. If, if there's one taken and one left behind, don't be left behind. You want to be taken. Taken good, left behind bad. But for those who took my hermeneutics class back the last few months, you know very well the key to interpreting a passage is three words. Context. Context what? Context, right? And when you look here at the context, we read in Matthew 24, 39. 39 helps us to understand 40 and 41. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. the flood, y'all, did you see that? The flood swept them away, took them away to their destruction. And then right after that, Jesus says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be swept away. And one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, swept away. And one left. In other words, the one will be swept away by the flood of God's wrath. Taken by the flood of God's wrath. Now, Luke's presentation of this teaching makes it crystal clear that that's what's meant here. Luke 17, 35, 36, 37 says this. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they, that's the disciples, said to him, that's Jesus, where Lord in other words Jesus where where are they being taken to and he said to them where the corpse is the vultures will gather now I know especially people at Collinsville First Baptist Church you know vultures (laughs) (laughs) they love to hang out in our backyard here love it in fact, we took staff pictures last year and, and Courtney, who is a, uh, she's a Photoshop uh, guru. She, uh, she, she, either she did or she had the photographer Photoshop in some buzzards flying over us just for fun, just for good measure. right? What do buzzards, what do vultures eat? Dead stuff, right? They eat dead stuff. And they don't care if it's a possum on the road or a deer in a field, or a human being that is in a pile of dead bodies. They will eat anything that's dead. Where are they taken to, Jesus, when they are taken away? Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. That's Jesus' way of saying that the taken one are taken to their death and destruction. And when we put these verses in context, we we see that taken is actually bad and left behind is good. The flood of God's wrath will sweep away all. All will take away all who are outside the ark of Christ to their destruction, leaving behind the righteous who are inside the ark of Christ. You know, there's that old Christian song from a few decades back that said this, it said, There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. And the intention of that song, again, being left behind is the bad thing. But if that song were written true to the context of Scripture here, it would say this. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come. I hope you're left behind. You see, just like in Noah's day, the righteous ones in the ark were left behind to live on the earth but the wicked were taken by the flood to their death and so it'll be and so it'll be when Jesus comes again. So in light of these three truths that the coming of Jesus is going to be like the days of Noah what shall we do in light of these truths? What shall we do? I want to point you to three quick actions this morning. First y'all We must warn of the impending flood of God's wrath. So many people that you walk by every single day, maybe even people that are in your house, you may even sleep in a bed next to this person. They are giving no thought whatsoever to eternity. They they have no cares whatsoever about their next breath, and they don't realize that in their next breath they could be seeing Jesus face to face. Either either you die and you go and stand before him in judgment or you live and he returns and you see him bodily face to face. Either way, they are going to be held accountable for their sins. And if they've never turned from sin and trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, that means that they will justly pay the penalty for their sins. And y'all look. I don't have to explain this. You know this. It's going to be awful. It's going to be hell. Like for real, right? It's going to be hell. And the only way for them to begin to realize that the flood of God's wrath is coming is for you and for me, who know it's coming. Noah knew it was coming. You know it's coming. And you've got to warn people. You've got to warn people. Now look, I know... Perhaps the Bible doesn't really tell us, but we can assume. I mean, Noah was a righteous man and you've got to believe that he said, y'all listen, I'm not building this boat because I'm crazy. I'm building this boat because God's about to kill everybody. Come get on the ark. That's your only hope. Nobody listened to him. If he preached, nobody listened to him. But our job is to preach, right? And guess what? May our preaching not be like Noah's if he preached, but like Jonah's. In this sense, when Jonah finally made it to Nineveh and he said, God is about to kill all y'all, what did they do? They, everyone, repented. And they were saved. Their entire city was saved. Beloved, we must warn people of the impending flood of God's wrath to come. Secondly, this morning, I want us to point people to the ark of Christ. Point people to the ark of Christ. He's our only hope, right? He's the only hope this world has for surviving the flood of God's coming wrath. He's our ark in the impending flood. Now, just like that boat, Noah's ark was in his day. Jesus himself proclaimed, he is the way and the truth and the life no one is saved no one goes to the father in heaven except through him he's it peter declared i just read it earlier from acts chapter 4 there when he was filled with the holy spirit he said there's salvation in no one else but jesus for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be and must be saved jesus is it there was only one ark in Noah's day and there's only one ark of Christ. He's it. And so we warn people. And as we warn people, we got to point them to where there's safety. The flood's coming. But Christ is there for everyone who will enter the ark. That's where the safety's found. We've got to point people to Christ And finally, I want to talk to those of you in here this morning that have not yet run to the ark of Christ. That's the final thing. Run to the ark of Christ. Maybe the majority, maybe the vast majority, maybe 90% of the people in this room, you've already run to the ark of Christ. You're saved. You are saved from the impending flood of God's wrath. But for those of you who have not yet run, I just want to be straight up. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? When the flood comes, it's going to be sudden, surprising, and inescapable unless you are in the ark. And, and, and don't miss what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36. I, I kind of skipped over that, but I want, to, I want to come back to it here because this is a, sort of the linchpin for the whole parable set that we see here in 24 and 25. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And what that tells me, y'all, is that the deluge of God's wrath could burst forth any moment. Any moment. And if you're not in the ark of Christ, you will be taken away, swept away. And where the corpse is? There the vultures will gather. So, beloved, do not continue in your rebellion. Don't continue in your wickedness. Run. Don't walk. Run to Christ that you'll be saved. He's our only hope. The second coming of Christ will be like the days of Noah. So here's my final prayer as we transition this morning into the Lord's Supper. May we all be ready when heaven opens up and the flood comes.